Welcome to the programme notes for Heartbreak House by George Bernard Shaw. The described matinee performance is in the Abbey Theatre on Saturday the 13th of September. The play is directed by Roisin McBrin, the set designer is Alison Cummins and the costume design is by Neve Lunny. Lighting design is by Paul Keoghan. The play's composer and sound designer is Philip Stewart. The performance begins at 2pm and lasts for 2 hours and 45 minutes, including one 15-minute interval. About the audio description equipment. The audio description equipment comprises of an earpiece and a receiver. The receiver is small enough to be placed in a breast pocket or using the attached cord hung around your neck. All the controls for operating the receiver are on the top. From left to right you have the earpiece socket. In the middle you will find the volume control which also functions as an on-off switch while on the extreme right there is a smaller channel switch. The audio description will be transmitted on channel 1 only so it is important that you don't change this setting. We would encourage patrons to set the volume of the audio description equipment for their personal comfort while also being mindful that patrons adjacent to you may be able to hear the audio. By moving the volume control in a clockwise direction, you increase the volume, and by moving it in a completely counterclockwise direction, you can lower the volume or turn the receiver off. Alternative earpieces are available for the comfort of hearing aid users. About the play. Following the recent successes of Pygmalion and Major Barbara, the Abbey continues its celebration of one of Ireland's greatest writers. This summer, they present their first ever production of Shaw's zany period drama, Heartbreak House. On the brink of World War I, Captain Shotover's eccentric family host a party in their grand country house. The madcap weekend spirals towards an explosive climax as the oblivious guests indulge in a masquerade of deceit. Shaw's unmistakable wit and stinging observations are to the fore in this satirical look at British society sliding towards disaster. Heartbreak House will feature strobe lighting and pyrotechnics. About the set. The back wall is covered with a screen, an empty canvas with a dark outline of a rugged hill, and to our left at the foot of the back wall, a bank of sandbags resembling a World War I trench. Lighting cast on the screen turns it steely grey during the daytime, then vivid oranges and ruby reds at sunset, and later still, pitch black at night. The rest of the floor space is taken up with a single room, slightly to the right of centre. This room has been built so as to resemble the after part of an old-fashioned poop deck of a ship with a stern gallery. The windows are ship-built with heavy timbering and run right across the back wall of the room. Red velvet blinds hang upon them. A row of lockers under the windows provides an unupholstered window seat interrupted by twin glass doors, respectively halfway between the stern post and the sides of the room. Another door to our right leads to the entrance hall of the main house. Between this door and the windows at the back of the room are bookshelves stuffed with leather-bound books and cluttered with random items such as small drums, dusty vases, brass elephants and decorated tins. There are electric light switches beside the door leading to the hall and the glass doors. Against the wall to our left is a carpenter's bench. The vice has a board in its jaws and the floor is littered with shavings overflowing from a waste paper basket. A couple of planes and a centre are on the bench. Behind the bench are more shelves stuffed with random items collected through travel, such as a framed lobster, animal horns of various sizes, amongst other paraphernalia. 
In the same wall, between the bench and the windows, is a narrow doorway with a half-door, above which a glimpse of the room beyond shows that it is a shelved pantry, with bottles and kitchen crockery. On the same side, closer to the middle of the room, is a plain oak drawing table with drawing board, T-square, straight edges, set squares, mathematical instruments, saucers of watercolour paint, a tumbler of discoloured water, Indian ink, pencils and brushes on it. The drawing board is set so that the draughtsman's chair has the window to its left-hand side. On the floor at the end of the table nearest us is a ship's fire bucket. On the right side of the room, near the bookshelves, is a sofa with its back to the windows, upholstered in sailcloth, including the bolster, with a couple of blankets hanging over the back and cushions scattered upon it. Between the sofa and the drawing table is a big wicker chair, slap-bang in the centre of the room, with broad arms and a low sloping back, with its back to the windows. A small stout table of teak with a round top and gate legs stands against the right wall between the door and the bookcase. The uncarpeted floor of narrow boards is caulked and holystoned like a deck. Beyond this room, across the whole width of the stage, is black flooring, polished to a high shine so that it catches reflections. A thick anchor rope hangs outside from the very top of the stern post, down the left of the room, across the stage and off. Also on this side of the stage is a cast iron lamp post with a glass globe light fitting at the top, opaque so that it looks like the moon. About the characters and costumes. Nurse Guinness, played by Barbara Brennan, is the housekeeper in the overshot household and former nanny to the now grown-up children. In her sixties, and speaking with a Dublin brogue, Nurse Guinness blusters in and out, carrying trays of food in at all times of the day and generally treating the upper-class family as though they were on her staff. She wears a striped cotton blouse buttoned up to the neck over a stiff Victorian corset, her heavy full-length skirt is of black damask and she wears a neat black lace-up shoes underneath. She sports a white cotton apron with lace edging and her grey hair is tied up in a loose bun. When she wanders into the poop deck room to tidy up, she meets an unexpected visitor, Ellie Dunn, played by Lisa Dwyer Hogg. Miss Dunn is porcelain-skinned young lady in her early twenties perhaps, with mousy brown hair piled up and pinned atop her head in the Edwardian style. When she speaks, she appears earnest, her blue eyes open wide, her brow slightly furrowed. She appears first in a straw hat with brown grosgrain ribbon trim and a long cream linen dust coat over a pretty white cotton summer dress with yellow lace embroidery on the bodice and on the hem of the skirt. A brown leather belt cinches in her waist and matches her brown lace-up egg-cup heeled shoes. Later on, Ellie dresses for dinner in a pale silk gown in salmon pink. It is tightly fitted to the knee, with the lower part of the skirt made up of soft pleated pink chiffon. The top of the dress is simple and overlain with a lace tunic of the same colour, a daisy pattern, with each lace flower edged in mossy green. The lace elbow-length sleeves are loose and a plain pink belt tucks in her waist. She wears pink low-heeled shoes to match. Her father, Mazzini Don, played by Chris McCallum, is expected later. A man in his fifties, he is meek and stands apologetically, head hanging low. Trim, with sallow skin and a drawn face, Mazzini Don has a head of thick black hair flecked with grey that is neatly combed in a side parting. He wears a slightly worn dark blue serge three-piece suit and dark brown brogues when he first arrives, covered by an old black belted Macintosh coat. He carries his black fedora hat in his hand.
Later on, he changes into black-tailed dress suit with white shirt, waistcoat and bow tie and highly polished black dress shoes. Later still, he dresses for bed in grey herringbone pattern silk pyjamas and paisley silk dressing gown with quilted maroon lapels and plain brown slippers. Ellie is greeted by the head of the family, Captain Shotover, played by Mark Lambert. Almost a caricature of an old sea captain, Shotover is bald-headed, with the wispy white hair at the back and sides, merging with his bushy white beard and moustache. He wears an old, worn naval officer's coat, with the captain's insignia on the sleeves, and silver buttons down the front. Under this is an unironed white shirt, open at the neck, a cream linen waistcoat, and worn royal blue linen trousers, turned up several times at the hem. To add a flash of colour, he wears a paisley print silk scarf in reds, ochres and russets as a cravat. The captain shuffles about in red leather slippers, embroidered in gold thread at the toes. They look like something from Aladdin's cave. His only concession to formal dinner dress is to change his unironed shirt for a starched dress shirt, his woman's paisley scarf for a red and gold tie, and his slippers for his knee-high officer's boots. The captain shares the house with his daughter, Mrs. Hesione Hushabai, played by Cathy Kira Clark. Hesione, or Hessie, is around forty, but very youthful looking. She moves her petite frame sleekly, cat-like, and practically purrs with pleasure when she hears an interesting bit of news. Quite the bohemian, Hessie wears a wraparound gown of plush black silk velvet, tied at the waist with a black silk sash, with what appears to be black curtain tassels at the end. The dress is wrapped in such a way that occasionally it allows a glimpse of her long, shapely legs. It is a sleeveless dress, with the material at the shoulders gathered into clasps, covered in Mexican beading of azure blue, black and scarlet. She has a glorious full head of curly dark brown hair, which is piled high and a little haphazardly on her head, allowing tendrils of curls to fall and gently frame her face. Hessie's dark hair contrasts starkly with her milky pale skin, her eyes highlighted by black coal pencil outline and emerald green eyeshadow. Her lips she accentuates with bright red lipstick. She wears black pointed dress shoes with silver heels. Unlike the others, she doesn't bother changing for dinner. She wears silver and gold heavy costume jewellery rings with a variety of semi-precious stones on every finger and wrapped around her wrist are one string of wooden beads and another of turquoise stone beads. Hessie's husband, Hector Hushabai, is portrayed by Nick Dunning. A dashing man of about fifty, he has sandy white hair, quaffed into a bouffant style and a waxed and curled moustache that is given as much preening as his hair. He wears a cream linen suit with a silk waistcoat with a check pattern of pale blue, peach and pale grey. His tie is baby pink and silk with a matching kerchief in his suit pocket. He wears bright pink socks and tan leather brogues. When he first arrives, he carries a straw boater and an ebony walking cane with silver handle. Hector does not dress for dinner like the other gentlemen. Eschewing tradition, he opts instead for an elaborate Arabic costume, like something from an amateur drama society. He wears a tunic of cream silk damask ornately embellished around the neck and breast in rhinestones and metal sequins, and harem-style pants of the same material. He wears green leather slippers on his feet. Around his waist is a burnished gold and silver embellished silk scarf, and over it all he wears a sleeved open gown of gold, russet and green silk, where the material has been feathered to make it appear fluffy like downy feathers. A surprise visit is made by Hesse's sister, Lady Ariadne Utterward, played by Ashling McGuckin. 
sleek and slim like her sister, Ariadne, or Addy, is more calculating than Hesse. She views everyone with an air of suspicion and superiority. Her flaxen blonde curly hair is pinned up in such a way as to make it appear messy, but really it is impeccably styled. Her dresses are much more coquettish than the others, the first being a sleeved dress in steely blue silk, tailored so tight as to make walking difficult. Her tiny waist is accentuated by a brown leather belt with brass horse heads on the front. There is a panel of lace in peacock blues and green at the neck, giving way to a high collar of accordion-pleated stiff blue chiffon, with a cameo brooch fixed where her collarbones meet. A band of the same lace goes around the skirt at the knee, with the material from knee to ankle being the same stiff accordion-pleated blue silk chiffon. Her dainty grey silk pointed shoes peep out just below the hem. She carries in her left hand a reticule handbag in the same steel-blue silk, and slung around her shoulder is a fox stole. In the evening, Addy changes into a pewter silk evening gown overlain with an asymmetric tunic of navy and bottle green lace and lace cap sleeves. She wears two long strings of pearls around her neck. She is accompanied by her brother-in-law, Randall Utterward, played by Marcus Lamb. A very tall and thin man in his mid-thirties, Randall looms above the others, bending affably to speak to them. He is more stylishly dressed than the other men. His dark brown hair is sharply parted and neatly slicked back. He first appears in a pale green linen three-piece lounge suit, white shirt, club-striped tie with pearl tie-pin and dark brown brogues. When he changes for dinner, he opts for the more modern tuxedo rather than the tailed white tie suit. His waistcoat and matching tie are cream silk, embroidered with an oriental floral pattern. Later still, dressing for bed, Randall wears bottle green silk pyjamas and plain dark slippers. Another visitor to the house is the businessman Alfred Mangan, played by Don Witcherly. Among the first to arrive, Boss Mangan, as he is also known, wears a dove grey swallowtail coat, pinstripe morning trousers and waistcoat, with crisp white shirt and gunmetal grey silk cravat. There is a brown leather finger sheath covering the middle finger of his left hand. Like Mazzini Don, he too wears the black tailcoat and white tie dress for dinner, though his suit looks a good deal more expensive. Lastly, an acquaintance of the captain's makes an appearance. Billy Dunn, played by Brendan Conroy, knew the captain in his seafaring days. His face is deeply tanned from exposure to the elements, and his brown and grey hair is straggly and limp. He is dressed very scruffily in grey-brown check trousers and grey linen shirt. Glinting on his threadbare woolen waistcoat are an incomplete row of silver buttons embossed with anchors. Over this he wears a tattered tweed-grey coat, and a mustard-coloured velvet devore scarf as a cravat. Hanging from his right earlobe is a thick gold loop earring. He wears several heavy Mexican-style silver rings on his fingers and battered brown work boots on his feet. That concludes the programme notes for the audio-described performance of Heartbreak House. These notes have been prepared by Breedney Rugon and Maureen Portsmouth, who are audio-describing the performance. Audio description at the Abbey Theatre is provided by Arts and Disability Ireland with support from the Arts Council. Front of house staff at the Abbey are at hand to assist you with any queries about the audio description equipment. Should you need to raise their attention before the show starts or during the interval, raise your hand and they will be happy to assist you. Thank you.